All right. I'll tell you what. Well, you know, here, before I jump right in, I'm, I'm going to say this. Uh, every once in a while, and you guys know this, I say, get it, and you say, and I say, good. All right. So that's how we're just, so if I say, get it, you say, I say, good. Okay, so we're in this series called Between Two Worlds, and we're kind of, we're going through the book of First Peter. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to First Peter. If not, we'll have it on the screen here, the scripture. We're going to look at First Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And he says this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I said this last week, but I'm going to say it again. I like Peter. I really, I really, really like Peter because he gets right to the point. I don't know about you, but I have family members and friends in my life who when they, 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 they go into great detail when they tell a story or they start to talk about something or explain something. You know, like someone is trying to explain to me how to hang something, or whatever. They go into this amazing detail and they go and describe it. I'm just like, I just want to say sometimes, just, just get to the point. You know, so the, so the story, like, like I have family members who will start telling a story and, and they'll say, well, this person, and then they'll describe what the person was wearing and what their facial expressions were. And I'm like, oh, and uh, I just say, you know, get just just get get to the point. I don't know if you guys remember Joe Friday. Who remembers Joe Friday? Right. Yeah. Anybody over a certain age remembers Joe Friday. Right. Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. Right. That's what he said. Just the facts, ma'am. Well, he started describing things. He'd be, hey, I just I just need the facts. And that's kind of like Peter. Peter doesn't dance around the issues. You know, in a culture um, where people dance around everything and there's little there's white lies and there's skirting the truth and half truths and people don't want to say, you know, that's why Simon Cowell, in a way, don't get me wrong, I'm not comparing Simon Cowell to Peter, but just in the way, the reason he was so popular is because Simon Cowell said everything you were thinking sometimes. Right. Like, and, you know, people would say, oh, you're such a great singer. You're such a one. Oh, you should go on to an American Idol. And people would send their children and their friends on American Idol. And they showed up expecting people to go, well, it wasn't that bad. But and Simon Cowell would be like, you stink. You're the worst singer I've ever heard in my life. You know, don't quit your day job. You know, and we'd be like at first we were like horrified. And you thought, well, they do stink and they shouldn't quit their day job. And he's telling them the truth. Didn't say it very nicely sometimes, but Peter doesn't dance around the issues. He just says it like it is. He gets right down to business. He lays it out and gets right down to business. And when Peter was addressing the reality of the end times, he sums it up with four commands and one goal. He has four commands and he has one goal. First Peter chapter four, verse seven says the end of all things is near. See, in the New Testament, the last days started at the incarnation. Now, the incarnation is basically Jesus in the flesh when Jesus came in the flesh. And we've been in the last days ever since. 
So the incarnation, Jesus in the flesh, that ushers in the last days, and we've been in the last days ever since. Jesus is coming back to bring an end to this fallen world and everything in it, and to renew it. One day, Jesus Christ will return, bring an end to this sinful, corrupt world, and there will be renewal, redemption. Everything now, everything now is in place. And so Peter knew that the next great event in biblical history was the second coming of Jesus Christ. He knew everything had fallen into place. If you love prophecy, if you like to look at like, oh, I love to watch Nostradamus when they bring it up on TV. If you really want to see prophecy and real prophecy fulfilled, go and study prophecy of the Bible. It doesn't come up with like half, half truths and fake things. Yeah, that fits in if you just twist it a little bit. I mean, absolute truths. And Peter understood that everything that needed to happen had taken place in biblical history. And the next great event in biblical history would be the return of Jesus Christ. Now, a little side note. Don't be taken in, okay, or overwhelmed by people who seem to know everything about the end times. When Jesus is going to come back, they write all these books and people sit down. They'll give you all this detail. And and don't get taken in by people or really overwhelmed by people who seem to know it all because they don't. But I do. (laughs) Just tell it like it is, you know, no half truths here. And you and you're asking right now. Well, you're on your unbated breath. You're just dying. You say, well, if you know, then when is the coming of Christ? Now, once you get out your pens, get ready, get your pens out. It's important. It's going to shock you. I'm going to shock you this morning. Peter says this. He says, the end of all things is near. So stick with me, all right? He said that over 2,000 years ago. So that means, pans out, you ready? It's on tape too, so you have this, you know, because I'm laying this out for you, but it's not, so beyond the the CD, so you'll have it also. So that, that means that it is nearer now than when he wrote this. Now, if you're now if you're confused still, I have a book coming out. It's called Nearer Now. It explains this all. It's a very short read. Okay, near (laughs) nearer now. It's nearer now than when he first wrote this. That's what we that's we certainly know that. Here's what else we know. Just to give you some little bit of context. In Second Peter chapter three, verse eight, it says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. That doesn't help. Right. Kind of does, but gives you an understanding to the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So you think, well, you know, it's been 2,000 years. That kind of puts things in context. Second Peter 3.10 says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Say that again. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. You don't know. Thieves don't say when they're, they don't just, Hey, I'm going to break in your house. June 22nd, you know what I mean? 2015, here I come. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Here's the deal. All the previous acts of redemptive history, things that needed to happen before the end, have all come to fruition. They're all it's finished. They have been completed. Peter understood that all redemptive acts. okay, have been completed. So nothing else has to happen in redemptive history, in biblical history, in order for Jesus Christ to come back. 
And so it could happen my next breath right now, a year from now, 200 years from now. Everything else has taken place that needs to happen. Again, go through biblical prophecy. It's all laid out. Israel's become a state. You go through all of it. The death, the, 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 the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all prophecy, all biblical history, all these things have been laid out in place so that Christ could return at any time. If this life were a play, for example, we'd be in the last act. The curtain could fall at any time, ushering in the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So we're in the last act. We, we as a generation, we're, we're in the final days. Okay, we're in the last days. All redemptive history has been taken care of. Now the next thing that's going to happen in the, in the, in the history of, of biblical history is the return of Jesus Christ. So Peter, this is the context in which Peter's laying out uh, what he's trying to tell us. Here's another thing I've noticed in, as I study this. People love to talk about verses that deal with the end times. And it's, it's, okay, it's good. It's cool. You know, you kind of go through it. You read Revelation. You read different parts of the Bible and Daniel. And you, you think about the end times. People love to discuss the end times. But you know what I've noticed? Almost every single time the coming of Christ is mentioned in the New Testament, almost every single time it's followed by a call to holy living. Isn't that interesting? Okay, this is going to happen. Okay, you, the end times. Almost every single time there's the, the discussion or verses around the end times, the, the, the final days. What's, what's talked about next are, 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 are the, the desire for the writer. He's saying we need to live holy lives. We need to live lives that are glorifying to God. We need to live out the word of God in our lives every single day. You see, here's the thing. We may not know, though it is very soon, okay, and again, this is what the Bible's saying, we're in the last days. We may not know the exact time of Christ's second coming, but we do know how he wants us to prepare for that second coming. We may not know the exact time of the second coming, but we do know what he expects of us as we prepare for the second coming. All right, so the first, the first command that Peter gives us is at the end of verse 7. It says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. See, I was joking a little bit before. We don't know a thousand years like a day, a day is like a thousand years. And people say, well, it could be any time, not in my lifetime, whatever else. And so we just kind of put through our lives and don't really think about it. But that's not the point here. The point that Peter is saying is Peter actually thought there is, I mean, in the New Testament, they were anticipating Christ's return maybe in their lifetime. There was that anticipation. They understood that, again, biblical history, redemption, it was all laid out. The only thing left to happen was the return of Jesus Christ. So there's an urgency here. But we can't just say, well, we don't know when Christ is actually going to return. It could be a thousand years. It could be. You know, and then so we just kind of go around. No, he's saying, OK, there's urgency. The return of Christ is imminent. OK, so what how are we going to live? How do we live our lives based upon the fact that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent? And what we I was on a plane going to Nigeria and I was talking to her on the plane and she was a Nigerian. We're sitting next to each other and she's going back and, and we were talking about being Christian. She was a Christian, but she lived in a, in a predominantly Muslim area. And she said, where I live, if you're baptized, you're taking your life into your own hands. Where I live, most people are either Muslim or they're martyrs, is exactly what she said. 
And so I said to her, because I'm thinking, man, that's kind of scary. I mean, you know, we baptize here and everybody's clapping. Yay, this is awesome. You get baptized there and there's like a, a mark on you. Like, okay, that person's a Christian now. They call them Nazarenes, if you will. And they say, you know, get rid of those folks. And so I said to her, are you scared? She said, you know, she goes to church every Sunday. I said, aren't you, are you scared to go to church? Because that's really like asking for it. You know, maybe you go like a house church and you hide underground or something, whatever else. She says, no, I, you know, sure, it's, it's, it's a little bit scary. You don't know when your life may be taken from you. But she says, Christ's return is soon. And I don't want to be caught sitting at home when Christ returns. There was an urgency It mattered to her. Being a Christian meant something to her. She was not going to be caught frightened, cowering, sitting at home at the return of Christ. She wanted to be worshiping God. She wanted to be living her life for Jesus Christ. So when he returned and when she stood before God in heaven, she would hear, well, good, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's the urgency with which Peter talks to us here. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Stay focused so you can pray. If I were to tell you the end was near, like I just did, and if you truly believed me this morning, if you truly believe what I was saying, you'd probably start to freak out just a little bit. Okay? A little bit of freak out. You'd be a little, maybe nerves. What's, you know, when is this going to happen? What's going to take place? A little freaked out. But Peter's saying, he's saying, wait a second here. Let's not panic. Okay? Let's be of sober mind, okay? Let's be of sober mind and, and, and self-controlled. We've got we to keep, we keep our wits about us. Yes, the return of Christ is soon. So then, how do we live? Okay, well, I'm going to come back to last. I'm going to bring back last week. We talked about ridding yourself, okay? Taking off an old garment and putting on a new garment. Sanctification being set apart. That's what he's talking about here. Christ's return is soon. So you need to be set apart. You need to be different. How should you be different? He says, first, you need to be sober minded, self-controlled. He says, don't be. He basically is saying, don't be filled with anxiety and fear. Don't start you know, flipping out and running out and selling your house. And, you know, you hear that all the time, these cults, you know, they say, oh, the second, you know, Jesus is going to return or whoever is going to return from whatever they're, they're thinking about. And so they run out and sell their houses. I'm always thinking, why don't you just give your house to me? You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, if, you know, if, if that's the end, if the end is coming, just give your house to me and we'll, you know, I'll deal with it. Um, Peter says that we need to stay focused. We need to stay sober-minded. We need to stay focused. We need to, we need to be clear-minded so that we can think and so that we can evaluate the future in a mature way, in a spiritually mature way. Don't lose your mind. Don't start getting all wigged out. Don't sell your house. Don't carry on. Just sincerely focused. Have a passion in your heart. Have that urgency in your heart that you know the end is near, Okay. And we, should, we only live in this world one time anyway. We should live this way. This is how Christians should live. We live one time. We go around one time on this earth. Do it with passion. Especially that we know that the return of Christ is near. And so he says, be sober-minded so that you're, you have a mature way of thinking. We don't need to be, our, our minds to be clouded with anything that inhibits our, our, our spiritual awareness. We need to be spiritually aware. Did you know that we live in a spiritual world, not just a physical world? More spiritual than physical. We live in a spiritual world. I don't think we understand that sometimes. There are spiritual battles going on all around us. 
You know, we see that in our lives, but we don't recognize it for what it is. You see your life sometimes being ripped to pieces, things happening in your life, and you're frustrated and you're overwhelmed, and there's abuse and all these things. The enemy is constantly attacking, and we're wondering, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? It's not just a physical world. It's a spiritual world. And the enemy is constantly on the prowl, seeing how he could destroy and devour people. So, I mean, a little side note here. Holy Spirit, just... There are some people sitting in this room who have been through some really difficult circumstances in their lives. And I, I say this, I'm going to hopefully I say it the right way. Your life is going to be um, extremely difficult, um, almost unbearable in some in some areas. If you don't take to heart what the Bible is saying and recognize that I something has been inflicted upon me in my life. Someone, something inflicted something upon me. If you don't recognize the influence that has on your behavior now, the choices that you're making now, and how that can affect your future, if you don't have a sober mind, self-controlled, sober mind, thoughtful, thinking through, how is this negatively affecting me and how can it destroy my life in the future? And what do I need to do? How do I need to, how can, how can I hold on to God so tightly? And what do I need to do now to overcome what's been inflicted upon me? If you don't think that way, I can write your future down on a napkin, put it in an envelope, seal it, give it back to you in about 15 or 20 years, and I'm going to be a prophet. This life is difficult. We need to be of sober, sober mind. We need to understand that we live in a spiritual world with spiritual forces. We're in a battle. Individually, we're all in battles. And then protecting each other is a battle. We need to protect each other from those forces as well. We need to invest in each other and love each other. But most of all, you need to recognize in your own life how the sins of the father have been passed on to you or the mother or the teacher or whoever have been passed on to you and have been inflicted upon you and how that can negatively affect your life. And you need to work really hard to overcome the things that have been inflicted upon you. Or it's going to be very difficult for you to survive this world. You, you may survive. You, you will not thrive. You may exist, okay, but you're really not going to live. And that, I want life for you, all of you. I want life for you. And that's what Peter is talking about, being sober-minded. He says, he, says we, he wants us to keep a clear mind and not allow ourselves. That sober-minded means don't be intoxicated, don't be intoxicated with, 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 with any substances or power or money or, or possessions or anything else. Anything else that, that will keep you from praying. That will keep you from That's what he's talking about, praying. Don't, don't get your mind filled up with anything else. Don't let anything pull you away. Don't let anything intoxicate you. Don't be intoxicated by power. Don't be intoxicated by money. Don't be intoxicated by possessions. Don't be intoxicated by pride. Don't be intoxicated with anything that keeps you from focusing on what God wants for your life to fulfill the purpose that he has for you. Don't let any of these other things intoxicate you. Can you have money? Sure, no problem. If you're in a position of power, is that sinful? Absolutely not. But don't let it take over your life so that you're not sober minded and singly focused on what Christ has for you and what he wants you to do with your life. Peter wants us to be sober minded so we can be more affected, effective and intentional in our prayer life. He wants us to pray because he knows what's coming. He understands what's coming. 
I think if we truly understood how important every single day was, every single day, we don't know if the return of Christ is tomorrow. So what does that mean for today? If I could tell you somehow God whispered to me and only Grace Chapel knew it, that the end of all things, the last days that were going to come and the last day was going to be next Friday. Okay, how would you live your life? I guarantee if we understood that every day mattered, we would live differently. We would live differently. It would be different. I think if we understood that the church is engaged in a battle for souls, for the lives of people, and that, that, and, and that the stakes are higher, think about this, than any of us a few years ago could have ever imagined, right? Come on. If you're, I'm 52. I don't care if you're 32 or 42 or even 22. Really, 32, 42, or 52. Think about this. You could never have even imagined a few years ago how intense the battle was going to get. Hasn't it? It's incredible. And Peter is saying we need to be so reminded so that we can pray with greater focus. If we really believe the end of all things was near, we would live differently. I guarantee it. You see, we, we're getting the word of God and I'm preaching the word of I'm giving you the word of God now. And I'm trying to I try so hard on Sunday mornings to instill in your hearts the intensity, not just the words, but the intensity with which the person is speaking. Peter understood what was going on. He was there. He experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He then, when Christ was risen and he truly understood what was going on around him, he understood then biblical history and everything had fallen into place. And he understood that the last redemptive act was the second coming of Jesus Christ. He understood all of that. So he had, he writes with passion. That's why he doesn't want to beat around the bush. Who has time to beat around the bush? Who has time to say things that you kind of get it, but he doesn't want to really, uh, you know, make you feel bad so you don't want to listen. No, he gets right to the point. If your house is on fire, I'm not going to knock, 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 knock. Gosh, I don't want to wake you up. I don't ring the doorbell. I'll throw a big old boulder through your window if your house is on fire. Hey, get out of bed. Your house is on fire. That's what Peter is saying. Hey, get up. Get out of get 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 out of that that slumberous sleep kind of fog that you're in right now spiritually because Christ is coming back and the world needs to know it. The people around you need to hear that. We need to get prepared. Like I said before, we may not know the day or the time or the hour of the return of Christ, but we certainly have clear instructions of how we're supposed to prepare for it. And he says we need to be praying. We need to be praying. Peter says, focus on your prayer life. Get it? Good. Okay, Peter gives a second command in verse 8. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. I want you to notice a few things in this verse. Number one here, Paul begins, above all. What he's talking about here, he's talking about the preeminence of love. Okay, love is the most significant thing in the life of a Christian. We need to love each other. It should be the number one thing in our lives. It is, it is above and beyond everything else. It should be on the top of the list, list of all Christians. Let me give you an example. All right. You could give $100,000 to your favorite charity. You could, you could memorize the book of Romans. You could come to church every day without missing for the next 10 years. And if you don't love, if you don't love, you don't have love in your heart for those who are around you then Peter is saying it's completely meaningless. The Bible says it's meaningless. 
You can do all those things. You can outwardly act like the the most spiritual person in the world. But if you don't have love in your heart, the Bible says it's completely meaningless. The word translated deeply here has the idea of, of, of strenuous, intense love. It's sacrificial. It's a sacrificial love. And we know that it's sacrificial because the, the example that he used, the proof of the love that we, we should have, according to Peter, is forgiveness. And we all know how difficult that is. There are certain people in your life you still haven't forgiven. That's the example he uses. He uses the, the idea of forgiveness. He says love covers a multitude of sins. See, the church that loves one another the church that truly loves one another is able, to, is able to forgive each other when things go a little bit wrong, when things aren't working out the way that we wanted them to, when issues come up. So if we love each other and issues come up and difficulties arise, people don't just exit for the back door, front door or the back door. They, we love each other. So we're able to work through our issues because of that love. But when a church is unhealthy and love is is at a minimum love is is in short supply every word i say or you say every action that you take even if it's misinterpreted okay goes right to the heart right and then there's misunderstandings because i you know if you don't love someone if there's no then that real intense love that we should have for one another when you say something and i misunderstand your body language or what you said or you, you write something to me someone wrote something to me a couple of days ago and i read it and my first reaction was really you're asking that question then i thought to myself wait a second wait a second i love this person i mean you know, really love this person, trust this person with my life, thought to myself, there's no way anything was meant by that question other than it was beneficial to me and to the church. No way. That's the way I thought. Why? I love them. I love them with all my heart. I, I give my life. I give anything to, for this person. And so anything they could have said has to be something that ultimately is beneficial. Even if they say it when they're frustrated about something, I'll forgive them for that because they're frustrated. I'll realize something else is going on in their lives. Why? Because I love them. See, here's how important this is. Get this. Here's how important this is. The Bible says that if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, then listen, and I, this is what the Bible says, and you should question the authenticity of your faith. If you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says question the authenticity of your faith. Get it? Good. All right. Peter's third command is in verse nine. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. See, I love that. You just miss this sometimes. You read the Bible real fast. Offer hospitality to people. And he says, without grumbling. Okay. He says, offer hospitality, which means that we need to open up our homes. Our homes are intimate places. It's where things go on that sometimes we don't, we don't want other people to see. It's, it's just, it's our haven. It's our place of refuge. And, and Peter's saying, open up your home. Show hospitality to one another. We need to make people feel welcome. We need to meet their needs. We need to create an environment in our home where people feel like they're loved and supported and cared for. We need to open up our lives is what he's basically saying. Open up your life to other people. Give yourselves to other people. Show hospitality. And, and, and if he's talking about, here's the thing. 
If he's talking about this when it comes to our homes, don't you think this applies into every other area of our lives at church, showing hospitality to one another at church? I mean, really, when people come in, we have a thing at Grace Chapel. I don't talk about it a lot, but I'm going to start bringing it up more. It's called the five minute rule. Two and a half minutes before the service starts and two and a half minutes after it's over is not your time. It's church time where you don't run to your closest friend. You find someone you don't know. And for two and a half minutes, you interact with someone you don't know, someone who's come for the very first time. Why? Because then they feel socially comfortable. You know why people don't come back to church most of the time? It's not because of my preaching. It's not because of the music. It's not because of anything else. It's because they feel socially uncomfortable. They do not feel comfortable. They don't feel friendship and love and camaraderie. That's why most people don't go back to church. That's why. At school, making people feel at home, hospitality, loving them, making feel like they have a friend group at school. People are outside of the circle, bringing them into the circle, at least making them feel comfortable at school. At youth group, same thing. We talked about this last week. We talked about loving each other and caring about each other and investing in each other. Where students, they don't know, a lot of students in the church may not know each other that well, but what we're trying to do is say, hey, let's come together and first and foremost, before we do anything else, let's love each other. Let's get to know each other. Let's invest in each other. Let's support each other. Life groups the same way. And every, in every area of your life, at work, it's the same way. If he means it at home, then he means it everywhere else. See, but Peter also knows that people are more comfortable externally expressing these things than internally. So he says, without grumbling, right? I, I was teasing my, my some of my, my I was teasing Kim and Jen this week because they, they were helping us out with a few things, and, and we were just joking. And I kept on saying, "Well, without grumbling, you know, you got to help me out without grumbling. You know, whatever I ask you to do, just do it, but don't grumble." He says, "Without grumbling." Again, I love him. He gets right to the point. He's saying, I know externally we can do things. Okay, I'll do it. <sighs> oh, yeah, no problem. I'll get the garbage. Don't worry about it. Everybody else just sit there. <sighs> right? He's saying, love each other, give to each other, show hospitality, support each other without grumbling. That is really hard. Come on, you think it's really hard? Right, exactly. All the rest of you are liars. That's really, really hard without grumbling to do things for other people, to share, to invest in the lives of other people, and to just give of yourself without grumbling. I'm like, buddy. <laughs> without grumbling. He's saying that, we need to, that our love needs to be reflected in our actions and in our attitudes. Our actions and in our attitudes. Get it? Good. Okay. I'm convinced, my friends, that Sunday morning church, Sunday morning church is just scratching the surface of what true community is all about. And this next series we're going to go into in September, the next series we go into is going to dive a little bit deeper into the idea of community. Peter has one more command. He says in verse 10 and the end of verse 11, he says, um, and the first part of verse 11, he says, each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides. Peter tells that every Christian has been given a gift. You've all been given a gift. Every single person here who's given their lives to Jesus Christ has been given a gift. And you've been given a gift for a specific reason. It is not to hoard it for yourself. It is to be used to build up and serve the body of Christ. Herein lies one of the biggest problems in our modern church. The church now believes 
that the pastors and the staff have been hired to do the works of service and ministry within the church. Your job is to do what you're doing right now. Just sit and listen. You know, maybe participate a little bit. But, you know, most of the time, sit and listen. Because you hire, you have me. I mean, what, what else do you need? <laughs> Come on, right? That's what you're thinking. Yeah, we have Pastor Jeff. He can handle it all, you know. And then if he can, Pastor Kevin will help him. And if he can, the other staff will help them. Don't worry about it. It's all good. And see, the problem with that is it's not true. It's not true. Honestly, I'll tell you, I'll just be a little vulnerable and honest. I can't handle it all. I really can't. I really can't. It's difficult. It's challenging. And the more that I or Kevin or the other staff have to do to, to, to keep things going, the more difficult it is for us to focus on other issues or other things that we'd like to do to move the church forward and to invest more deeply in people's lives because we have to keep all the balls going. We have to, you know, up in the air, we have to keep this plate spinning. Every church is like this. It's difficult. It's sometimes really difficult. I thank God that our church has so many servants. See, I'm not going to leave it there and give us an out. It's extremely difficult. And, and the, 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 the job of the pastors in the staff, especially the pastors, is not to do the work of ministry. This is what the Bible says. It's not my opinion. It says my job is to, is to equip you. My job is to equip you to do the works of ministry. So I'm kind of I'm like the CEO or whatever. okay? and my job is to help you to find your spiritual gifts and then to train you and encourage you to go and use your spiritual gifts. You see how this works? Raise your your heads. You see how this this works? So if you're expecting me to do all the work, you're sinning. okay? (laughs) just say it. Say it out loud. I'm a sinner. Just say it. Yes, come on. Now, so, so that's what Peter's saying here. And that's what the Bible's saying, that the pastor's job is to equip the body to do the works of service. We are the body of Christ. See, I, don't, I believe that a church health is not measured by the amount of people who show up on a Sunday morning or how much is in the offering. It's really measured by how often, how many people within the church serve. Right? That's truth. How many people in the church are actually serving? In most churches, 20% of the people do 100% of the work for the most part, right? 20% of the people do most of the work. And 80% of the people just kind of come in and out. And the Bible's saying that, that, that can't be. See, my professor taught us when I was at university, he said, one person, one job. Everybody take one job and everyone else's job is easier. You do the thing that God has called you to do. You know, you serve. You ser- there are areas sometimes where you serve in areas where you're gifted, Right? You're gifted. There are other times I've learned this early on where God says, hey, go pick up that board and bring it over here. And you say, well, Lord, I'm not gifted at carrying boards. He said, I don't I didn't ask if you were gifted about carrying the board. He said, get there's the board there. I want it over here. You can't go. I'm not gifted at that. There are certain times in a church's history, in a church's life where you're not gifted at something. You do it anyway because it's, it's necessary. It needs to be done. Bill Reynolds passed a couple of weeks ago. Bill ran a lot of what goes on back here, okay, in the multimedia. Bill is now gone. So either I or one of the staff people have to sit back there most of the time, figure out how we put the slides together and do all those things, or someone sitting here has those skills and can learn them very, very easily and takes multiple people take Bill's place. 
right? That's, that's really what it boils down to. We hire someone to do it or someone who is gifted in that area does it. I would like one of you to step up even this, this coming week. Give me a call and say, I'm your guy. I'll help you do this. I'm your woman. I'll help you do this. Whether it's junior high, high school, whatever else, we need folks that are going to help us. And so that's what, that's what Peter's talking about here. We need to understand that the church is incomplete. The church is not functioning in a healthy way. If this is not going on, if this is not happening. Here's a story that illustrates that may, may help us out here. It's in World War II, I love this story, a little French town had a statue of Christ in their town square. When the bombing came, the statue was damaged, and they stored the pieces that were broken off in this, in this particular place. After the war, they began to rebuild it. It had cracks now, but they, the appearance meant even more. Because it was cracked, it meant even more to them. To their dismay, the only pieces they couldn't find were the hands of Jesus. And this was tough on them because the hands had the nail prints. It was so significant that they thought that they should just take the statue down until one person slipped a gold, stat, a gold plaque at the bottom of the statue that said, He has no hands but ours. All of a sudden, the community began to understand something. We are his hands and the extension of his ministry. And that's true. I mean, to, to, that, is, that is true. Jesus is the head of the church. We are his body. Jesus is the head. We are his body. And for a healthy church to function, the body needs to function. The hands, the feet, the mouth, the eyes, we all need to, And every one of us makes up that body. That's the way Jesus set it up. He set it up that way so the body of Christ could do its work and do miraculous things. He said, even greater things than you've seen me do while I was here. Think about that. That's the way it was set up. So we need to serve in the body of Christ. That's what Peter is saying here. Get it? Good. Okay. So those are the four commands. And he has one goal, one goal. And we find it in verse 11. It says, so that in all things, God may be praised to the Jesus Christ, to him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The one goal is to glorify God. Simple as that. Through everything we're talking about here, when the coming of Christ, Christ is coming. Our one goal in all of this through how we live our lives is to glorify God. That's the goal, to glorify God. Imagine a church where everyone prays, just for a second. Imagine a church where everyone prays, where everyone is loved, where people are loving each other, where people are showing hospitality to one another, where people are serving one another in, with intensity. They are actively serving within the church. That, my friends, would be a church that glorifies God. That would be a church that glorifies God. We try really hard to make Grace Chapel feel like a home, like a place that's it's your home. We worked really hard on the outside to, to, to make this more uh, appealing for people to want to come. At the same time, though, we've tried really, really hard to keep the authenticity within the church, in the body of Christ. That has been our goal. Peter understood the importance of the church living out its God-given responsibility to impact our world. And he understood He truly understood that each of us, from the youngest to the oldest, each of us has a part to play. And that's what he's trying to say to us this morning. Christ is coming. Every single one of you has a part to play. My prayer for our church is that we love God so much, that we love each other so much, and the urgency 
of God's call upon our lives motivates us in such a way that we will live out the purpose for which he has created us individually and as a whole. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this day. We pray, dear God, every single one of us, we pray that you would give us the urgency of Peter, that we would understand in some, in some small way the intensity with which he writes this, Lord God. And he wants us to live it out. I pray that we would not leave this place today the same as when we walked in, but that we would be different, that we would be set apart, that we would be sanctified for you, and that would be more, we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have a great, great week.